HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and it's a crisp, cooler, fall-like day in Brooklyn. And I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to soup and sandwiches. Um, lots of them. And fortunately, I have a cookbook right now that has lots of them. It's called Flower 2 by Joanne Chang. She is the chef owner of Flower Restaurants in Boston. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thanks. So um, this is really exciting. This is your second cookbook, uh, hence the comma two. Exactly. Congrats. And, and, you know, like a lot of restaurants these days, successful restaurants, will come out with a cookbook. But it's really something else. It's really saying that there's something seriously going on here when <laughs> you have a restaurant that comes out with a sequel cookbook. And I, I mean, that's that's like a whole lo- other level of a success, I think. So congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you very much. Well, the first book was uh, entirely meant to be baking. And mm-hmm. it's basically every single pastry that we have at the bakery um, from a sweet perspective. And when the book came out, um, immediately customers and readers who were baking from it said, you know, we really love these recipes, but we're looking also to see the savory side of flour. And so that's what led to the second cookbook. This is the savory side of the bakery, um, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and at parties as well. Right. So this book is all about the savory. So it's like flour 2.0, savory right. rather than sweet. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, flour, the restaurants, and now there's four of them, correct? Four different locations throughout Boston? Correct. And Cambridge? Exactly. 
Um, well, hey, maybe you'll have uh, two more cookbooks <laughs> coming up. <laughs> and by then you'll have like two more restaurants. You'll have to catch up. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So um, what was I going to say? <laughs> anyway, um, so, uh, But it, it sounds like, um, you know, reading your introduction, the flower, the bakery started out as more of a pastry oriented, you know, sweets oriented place before all the sort of sandwiches, soups, breakfasts, uh, and more savory f- offerings uh, came out. Is that right? Yeah, you know, yeah, when I started flower, I mean, we've always had savories. We've always had a, a cafe menu, but my training is in pastries, and, you know, my original intent was to create a patisserie or a bakery um, without really thinking about the savory side. And for better or for worse, you know, I realized that at least in Boston, if I was going to create a bakery, um, the only way to really make it viable in a big way was to offer uh, savories as well, because we don't really have the... the um, the habit, as they do in Europe, where you'll have mm. a bakery that just does baked goods and people right. will frequent it all day long. So we created a, a cafe menu with sandwiches, soups, and salads, and pizzas, and quiche. Um, and people come in all day long for that. And then at the same time, when they're in for savories, then they'll order a cake for a birthday, or they'll get you know a muffin for breakfast, or a cookie with their lunch. So it's it's worked out. It's win-win all the way around. Smart. Yeah. And, and they all looked really, really fabulous stuff. I love the salads. I love, I love the, uh, like warm kind of like savory salads that you have throughout this book too. It's perfect for any, like any meal, really lunch, dinner, breakfast. Yeah. Um, I love the salads that we do. Definitely. They're really uh, meant to be not just side salads, but sometimes they're big enough just to be actually a main salad. And I find myself that I eat a lot of salads as like my main meal. So healthy. Um, and, and Flower, the restaurants haven't been around for too long. Is that right? And, you know, this has all happened in a, how long, how long ago was the first Flower opened? I, I guess it depends on your perspective. I mean, it's been 13 years um, mm-hmm. that we opened the first one. Uh, we just had one location in Boston for six and a half years. And then in the last, you know, six or years or so, we've opened three other locations. So it has been relatively recently that we've had multiple locations, but the original one opened um, September 2000. I see. Okay. I guess I was around then because I was going to say I, I, I went to school in Boston, but I, I wasn't around for when Flower first opened, but I guess I I was just there and just leaving. <laughs> so, ah, okay. okay. Yeah. I, when, when I went to school, uh, I graduated in uh, 2003. Um, it wasn't Boston wasn't much of a food city. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, it's definitely it's developed a lot over the last decade or yeah. so. Um, if you were there till after I left, it was starting. It was just yeah. Starting. Um, but I, now it's it's crazy. I feel like it's become such a great food town. Um, really, really developed over the years with incredible chefs that you know we're all very collaborative and everybody everybody works really well together and um, spends a lot of time visiting each other's restaurants and you know working at events together Um, i think it helps that boston is physically small small. yeah Uh, yeah so it it helps to kind of create a a community of chefs that we can we can all see each other and hang out together um 
in a way that's probably a little bit different from some other cities. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's remarkable the the transformation. Um, you know, thanks to to your restaurant and and if, and several others. Um, in just the last decade or so, um, it's it's just really taken off. Uh, I, I was uh, traveling through Boston um, a couple years ago, actually, when when my book came out, and uh, things had definitely changed. Because I remember when uh, I was going to school there, the only places I would really eat were the tiny little Chinatown <laughs> holes holes in yeah, the wall. Yeah, <laughs> hole in the wall. But now um, there's, there's lots of places for me to choose from now. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting to be part of that. And uh, do you have any aspirations to move outside of to like open a different location uh, in a different city entirely? You know, I don't. Um, I, one of my colleagues, Jamie Bissonette, he's actually moving your way. Um, they're getting ready to open Toro in New uh-huh. York. Um, and I have a couple of other chef friends who've been reaching out and looking at other cities. But for me personally. Um, I, I really am kind of a Boston girl. I love huh. being here. I love creating a, you know, restaurant community, working within right. the restaurant community here. Um, we have a lot of former employees from Flower who actually live in Manhattan now. So I do feel like that if I ever got the inspiration, I could move to New York or at least open a Flower in New York and staff it with, you know, two or three dozen Flower alums. So huh. that's never too far from the back of my mind. Well, that's cool, though keeping it keeping it real. And and you also um, lived in in Cambridge for for college. Uh, you went to Harvard. This was before yes. you had any aspirations of being a cook, however. That right? Oh, I have. Yeah, none. I mean, I, I sold. I made chocolate chip cookies and sold them to the dormitory grill. And I think I made you know seventy to eighty dollars a semester doing that. So I had a. <laughs> Mini itty bitty business, nothing that really would indicate that I would end up ending up in this industry. Um, and you studied. I'd always, I always love to cook and, and eat, and so that that was you know one one indication that I might end up here. That's pretty cool. And you studied economics and math. Pretty pretty different territory. <laughs> from yeah, the kitchen. I've always been um, very into math, um, and then economics. My mom was economist, so she kind of led me into that direction. And even though it seems like it's different territory, now I feel like it's kind of come around full circle in that, you know, running a business, there's there's a lot of economics in it. There's a lot of accounting. There's a lot of math. Um, and so in some ways, I do feel like, you know, I was able to take some of my college experience and apply it to what I do every day now. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, running a restaurant is not all just kind of being an artiste, if you will, <laughs> and uh, right. doing it doing it well, at least, uh, we could say. Um, so th- that's very interesting. Um, I, I noticed in your introduction, you, you mentioned that um, you grew up in a very food-centric Taiwanese-American family where you were thinking about lunch during breakfast and you were thinking about dinner during lunch and so forth. Can you tell me a little bit about about that and, and why that why that's uh, somehow particularly Taiwanese? You know, I don't know if it is particularly Taiwanese. I do know that every single one of my friends who are Taiwanese and all of my parents' friends in the community that we grew up with that are Taiwanese, it is just how we think. And I, I, I know that there are many cultures out there that also think similarly, but it is, it is not far from an obsession, you know, this thinking about food all the time. I mean, we are literally, when we're going on vacation, we think about, you know, where we're going to stay based on the restaurants that we want to visit. Um, you know, when we are, when we're, and, and to, to say that when we're at lunch thinking about dinner, I mean, we are 
literally stuffing our faces at lunch, planning <laughs> dinner, you know, planning kind of everything we're going to put in our mouths between now and dinner time. And it's just a perpetual cycle. Um, Holidays. My husband, Christopher, yeah. yeah, he's he's always laughing because we'll all be eating dinner, thinking about the next day, thinking about breakfast. And he's like, you guys ever stop thinking <laughs> about food? And it's, my mom kind of looks at him puzzled and like, no, why? why would you? Why would you ask that? That, I know. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I'm. I grew up in a half Taiwanese house, uh, household, and um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, I would say it's particular. It's. Not, I mean, everyone I know who's Taiwanese is the same way. Um. So, uh, you know, every holiday revolves around food. It, it's an excuse, really, to oh, eat. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's well, what a holiday is. <laughs> And, and for me, um, growing up, you know, my parents, they, they, didn't, they weren't born in America. Um, they are Buddhist by, you know, upbringing, and they didn't really take on any sort of Christian religion when they moved here to the States. And so, but living in America, you know, you, you learn about Christmas and Easter and, mm-hmm. and all, all of the holidays, really. And I had no inkling that they, these were not food holidays. I did not realize that Christmas was, had anything to do with Christianity. To me, it was a day off from school where you got to eat anything you wanted all day long because that's how we treated it at home. And the same with Easter. Um, and then Thanksgiving is a food <laughs> holiday for, for everybody. But right, like right. Every single holiday was just an excuse. You know, if we didn't have to go to school, it was an excuse to go to the Chinese markets, buy lots and lots of food, you know, get lots of stuff to bring home and make a big feast. Um, so holidays to me are always all about food. Right. And, and did your family cook a lot of like, I don't know, Easter ham, turkey, like the traditional American foods? Or would they make a big kind of banquet style, family style feast of, of Chinese food or both? Uh, the latter. We never did the traditional American stuff. Um, <laughs> okay. We never had turkey. We never had ham. Um, but we would always have duck. My mom would either mm-hmm. roast a duck herself or... Depending on where we lived, if we were near a Chinese market that sold good uh, roast duck, we would get a roast duck. Um, but it was always an excuse to kind of pull out all the stuff, so all the different side dishes that she learned growing up, um, all the different vegetables and fried noodle dishes and, you know, whole fish. Um, so it wasn't traditional American mm-hmm. food. Um, it, it was just traditional Taiwanese food, but there was lots and lots of it. So in that respect, it was, I think, very American where you have, like, a lot of right. and you're sides. Yeah. And so am I, if I'm understanding this correctly, the, the roast duck was the turkey for Thanksgiving? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what we did. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, I know. Th- I noticed that you have a Mama Chang's hot and sour soup recipe in this book, and it looks delicious. I kind of want to swim in it. It uh, Gorgeous photography, by the way, by our friend and uh, fellow host here on Heritage, Michael Harlan Turkel. Um. Yeah, Michael did an incredible job with these photos, and it's, I, I'm so happy with how they came out. I just feel like you, you really feel like you're at the bakery, um, and you can see everything, all of the, the care and the love that goes into all of the dishes. I, I think he did such a great job capturing that. He was, he was, uh, you know, he was, again, bordering on obsessive, just kind of right. following everybody around and taking 20,000 pictures of the same thing. And um, <laughs> But he had such a way about him where he would kind of stay in the background. So after a while, we all kind of got used to his being there, and everybody just kind of went about their business, and it really allowed him to capture everything that goes on at the bakery, you know, in, in, um, in a real way. That's so cool. Sounds like it was a great matchup. Um, yeah. So the the Mama Chang's uh, hot and sour soup is something that you have on the menu at Flower, and is is it actually your mom's recipe, 
or something? It is a inspired? yeah, it's a variation. Mm-hmm. It's a simplified variation um, of what my mom used to make, and it's actually not at the menu at Flower, but it's at the menu at uh, the Chinese restaurant I have with my husband Myers and Chang. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so we have uh, the hot and sour soup at Myers and Chang. Um, we offer the hot and sour soup every now and then as a, we do daily soups at the bakeries, and so sometimes that will show up. Um, and it's such a great, easy recipe. Um, you know, my mom was a working mom, and so all of the recipes that she did for us really were streamlined so that they didn't take a whole lot of time. Mm. Um, and then, so this recipe, you know, I've taken the recipe that she did and made it a little bit more accessible to American cooks who might not have access to Asian markets. Mm. Um, and it's been one of those recipes, and I think because, in part because of the great photography, a lot of readers have been making this mm. um, straight out of the book. So I've gotten tons of great feedback, and people are loving it, which is yeah. really nice to hear. It looks like it doesn't have anything that you really couldn't find at any traditional uh, uh, supermarket. So, you know, great job uh, making a little variation of that. It looks delicious, right. too. I really want to eat it. Um, <laughs> we're just going to have a quick little musical interlude, and we'll chat more right after the break. Well, Miss Louise, can't you understand? Well, Miss Louise, be a man. You're listening to Miss Louise by the California Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network.org. So get back, get back, get back, you broken home. Oh, Miss Louise, why can't you see? Oh, Miss Louise, this could never be. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Did you know that pollinators are needed for more than two-thirds of the world's crop species? Most of these pollinators are bees. However, North America's bee population has been steadily declining since the 1990s. Whether you live in the country or the city, you can show your commitment by hosting a hive in your backyard or even on a rooftop. The beekeeping movement is growing, so you're sure to find swarms of folks who can help you find your way. Learn more about the ways you can help be the solution at WholeFoodsMarket.com slash share the buzz. All right, we're back chatting with Joanne Chang, the chef owner of Flower Restaurants and Myers and Chang Restaurant, and also the author of Flower 2, her second cookbook. It is out now from Chronicle Books, and it's delicious. Um, so we have Joanne on the line. Are you cooking currently at your, are you like in between some crazy hot pan, hot cheek pans right now at Flower? <laughs> No, no, I'm actually in between locations, and so okay. I found a, a little quiet place to tuck away. Um, that's been one of the big challenges uh, with opening multiple locations is trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B, and so I'm, I feel like it's a logistical <laughs> a logistical challenge every day to get, to get oh around. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and, and I'm so sorry that you can't actually be here so we could treat you to some pizza um, here at Roberta's, but oh, hopefully another oh, time. <laughs> next time. Definitely next time. <laughs> another time, uh, whenever you're in town. Um, yeah, I mean, I love how you kind of give a, a day in the life of, of your restaurant, um, in the, in this book and it's a busy life. Oh my gosh. Running four restaurants, you know, from 4am to, to ev- forever, basically. <laughs> about, yeah. till about 11 or 12. Um, okay. there's always somebody at the bakery. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a demanding job. Uh, what are the best what are the best rewards about doing this crazy endeavor in your opinion? You know, for for me the 
biggest and best reward um, is 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 absolutely the the amount of pleasure and joy that we're bringing to so many people um, through what we do. When we when we just had the one location, uh, it was very easy to see. You know, we had this one little location in the South End um, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner to a, the group of people who kind of lived and worked around that location. And I never thought that we would open a second location or a third or a fourth. Um, but we found ourselves, you know, just so busy, and I had so many wonderful staff members who also wanted to stay within the bakery, but there wasn't really much room for them to grow because we just had one location. So opening the second location allowed people more challenges, and then it allowed for kind of spreading what we call flower love to, to more people within Boston. I mean, it sounds a little, a little goofy, but it is crazy how much joy people get out of food. And I know it firsthand. Um and it's really gratifying just to see that on an everyday basis, you know, walking into the bakery, um, regardless of which location, and just watching people light up when they walk in for the first time or for the hundredth time and, you know, agonizing over which pastry to pick or, or which sandwich to, to order. Um, and then just kind of feeling the, the sense that you get when you walk into a place where everybody's just enjoying food. You know, we it's a bakery cafe, so it's nothing too fancy. But sometimes I feel like you get so much more enjoyment out of a place that's a little bit simpler. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I love fancy meals. I love the, you know, going out all out on for dinner. But, but just the, just watching people just enjoy a, a great, great croissant or an amazing bowl of soup. Um, I think that's kind of what drives all of us who work at the bakery because it is so high volume. It's it's kind of hard to slow down a little bit and appreciate what we do. And you get to see all aspects of, of the whole business too, working in a smaller cafe like setting and get, you know, yeah. hands on. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, so what is your favorite dish right now that you would be making? I don't know for lunch in this kind of early fall, maybe late, late summer weather. Oh, uh, let's, you know, for me, I naturally have a sweet tooth. So this this book features a lot of our savories, but I did sneak in some sweets. And right now, it's you know apple season. We're just starting to get into apple picking here in Boston. Mm. And one of my favorite recipes um, in the this book is the um, Dutch apple pancake. It's a mm. it's a baked baked apple pancake that's made with just a handful of ingredients. I mean, seriously, everybody would have all of this at home. It's like eggs and milk and flour and apples and cinnamon and butter. Um, but you whisk it all together and pour it over sautéed apples um, into a cast iron skillet, that, and you put it into a really hot oven, and it just poofs up very dramatically in the oven. And by the time you serve it, it kind of settles down a little bit. But um, huh. All of the butter and the sugar get all nice and caramelized, and yeah. the apples are oh, they're so good. So it's kind of like, like a. It gets, is it kind of like an apple upside down cake, but you don't really turn it upside down because it's a pancake? Yeah, a yeah. little bit. Yeah, the, the batter's a lot thinner, and so mm-hmm. like a cake batter is thicker, and so it's just going to bake as a cake. But like this batter is a lot liquidier, and so because there's so much liquid, it's like a, it's got a lot of milk in it. Because there's so much liquid, the liquid um, causes the whole batter to steam up. And that's what allows the pancake to poof up. That's so fun. That's like a real classic, like American kind of like Puritan or Dutch something recipe. Yeah, right. That's so fun. I, yeah, I, I think it's a, it is Dutch. I think it's it's an old Dutch recipe. Cool. Um, and I noticed you have a, a another cake, a scallion pancake. Tell me a little bit about this twist that you have. Um, how did you come up with the focaccia flour for a scallion pancake? 
this is a super fun recipe. So, you know, scallion pancakes, everybody orders them when you go to a Chinese restaurant. Um, they tend to be a little bit chewy. They're usually made with a dough that's um, leavened with a little bit of baking powder. Mm. Um, but we make uh, a focaccia dough at the bakery that we've made since we've opened that we use to make our pizzas and we use to make our sandwich bread. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, what happens if you fry the dough? Because if you've ever been to, like, a state fair, they have fried dough that they sprinkle with powdered sugar, and it's always light and crispy and fluffy. Yeah. Um, and so so I took some of our focaccia dough, and I fried it, and it was incredible. <laughs> and that kind of just led to another thought, well, what if I actually took the ingredients of a scallion pancake and mixed it into this dough and then fried it? Um, and that is now what we serve at Myers and Che. It is a non-traditional scallion pancake made with a focaccia dough that we mix in sesame oil, salt, and scallions. And then we roll it out and then fry it in a thin layer of oil, and it just poofs up, and it becomes a little bit like fried dough, but a savory version that's got um, a lot of great flavor with all the scallions and the sesame oil. Wow, this non-traditional twist sounds just absolutely brilliant. I mean, scallion pancakes can be really hit or miss, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I think you should go next door to Roberta's and ask them to try it because they have that oh, incredible I know. pizza dough. Yeah, and, and show them the picture. Uh, okay, yeah. I love how you have the pictures too because you really do have to roll it into this tube or you know cinnamon twist thing and then smash it out yeah. and then. Well, we, get that we tried just mixing. Yeah, we tried just mixing in all the ingredients, and it didn't quite come out the same. So we hmm. stuck with the traditional method of rolling, rolling it out it. into like a jelly roll. Yeah. yeah. It makes it adds a layer of flakiness that's really nice. And and I like how you mentioned that there are so many different variations of scallion pancakes already. Like there's just so many variations. Um, uh, what is the kind? Um, I don't know. If, have you been to Taiwan recently in the last? I don't know. Ten no, years? No. Oh, it's been like 20 years. <laughs> okay, well, there's many different kinds, and there's this one kind where they kind of like shred it up, too, while they're while they're frying it on a pan. It's kind of oh, crazy. Wow. Yeah, into like flaky bits. But but I, I think that some sometimes they're more flaky, sometimes they're more chewy. I feel like there's just a different style for a different preference. And, and this one is just, just brilliant, the one that you have. So thank you. thank you for adding to the uh, scope. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you mentioned um, you're, you're, you didn't grow up in a restaurant household, like business. Oh, gosh, no, no. You're, you mentioned your mother was in, in economics as well. Uh, what did they, what did they think when you first began this venture with they your were, degree from Harvard? A little bit nervous. Uh, I'll admit, you know, I had a really nice stable job as a management consultant right out of college and, very, very kind of what they expected and what they were hoping for. Um, and then two years in, I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm leaving this job and I'm going to go work in a restaurant. And so they were, they were nervous and concerned. They were, you know, and at the time I was 24 years old and I thought, I know what I'm doing. You know, this is going to be great. I love cooking. This is going to be awesome. Um, of course, now I employ a lot of 24-year-olds and I look at them. I'm like, you have no idea what you're doing. You know, you don't know anything about life right now. So I feel like I, I was really lucky in that my parents just, they had a little faith and they said, okay, you know, you, you need to make sure that you can live in this new, this new career that you're going um, into, but we will support you as much as we can. And I mean, luckily I, I fell in love with it and then I got really fortunate in that I was able to work with um, really great chefs. And as you move, move through different restaurants, as you work under different chefs and learn more and more, 
um, you know, you yourself get better and better. And so I think they saw how happy I was and how fulfilled I was I was doing cooking and then baking. Um, and then I got really great mentors, and they started to meet the chefs that I was working for. And now they love it. You know, now they mm-hmm. come all the time, and they want to eat at the bakeries all the time. Um, but in the beginning, you know, they're, they're, they were definitely a little bit nervous. So I, I, I owe a lot to them for being supportive throughout. Cool. And, and you definitely work your way through some seriously, uh, you know, varsity restaurants um, with some great mentors, um, uh, Le Bernardin and uh, a few others. But I, I didn't catch, did you go to culinary school? No, I, I didn't. When I Self-taught. left consulting, uh-huh. I just got a job. And at that point, I thought, should I take time off to go to culinary um, and I think that might have been the straw that broke my, the camel's back if I'd mm-hmm. asked my parents, you know, for money to, to go to culinary school. So I kept working. Um, and at, at a certain point, once you're working in a restaurant, you start to learn more than you could learn in a culinary school. You know, and after a certain point, it doesn't make sense to go back to culinary school. So um, I ended up kind of bypassing that step, really trying to get my training um, by making sure that I was working for chefs who would take the time to teach me. And I think Mm -hmm. that's key. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people now ask, should I go to culinary school? Should I not? And I really think it depends on who you're able to hook up with if you end up skipping it. Like, sometimes if you're with a chef who's not necessarily going to show you what you need to know, then it makes sense to take the time and go to culinary school. But I was fortunate in that I worked with really great chefs. Cool. So that would be your advice to to folks looking. It's, it sounds like I'm sure you get a lot of people who ask you, "How do I do this? How do I get into the restaurant industry?" Yeah. Would that be your advice to try to you know work under really um, amazing mentors instead yeah, of culinary school? Yeah, my advice would definitely be to, yeah to take that as a first step. Um, and it doesn't even mean that you have to spend you know three or four years of your life trying to find good chefs to mentor under, but. You know, you're, if, if somebody comes to me and says, I really want to do this, what do I do? I always recommend that they find, you know, one place that they really like and that they walk, they walk into this restaurant or this bakery and they just they think, I love everything about this place. And to try to get a job in that place and spend at least six months, if not a year, to just see what it's really like. Um, and I would recommend that almost even before considering culinary school, because once you go to culinary school, you're kind of taking a big plunge. You're taking mm-hmm. a big monetary plunge um, and a yeah. big time plunge. And you might end up going through and getting your degree and then realizing Dude. that working in a professional kitchen isn't even what you like because right. you haven't done it yet. So so this is also I, I a good way to get a taste taste of what you're looking yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's a delicious yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. This is such an inspiring uh, story of success and all the best to you. Um, thank and you. And Flower Restaurants. And, and I look forward to seeing Flower, Flower, Flower 3 and 4, the cookbook on the show. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. 
Thanks for listening. Yeah.